Welcome to the Sabbatarianism Podcast. I am Justin. I have with me my good friend and brother, Neil Saul. Hello, Neil. Hello, Justin. All right. Our, our niceties are out of the way there. <laughs> Let's get to it. Uh, so we're going to again carry, carry on with the, uh, what should we call this? The last episode would be called The Divine Council. Uh, this is all a part of the mindset or, or theories of Dr. Michael Heiser, known as the Unseen Realm. We're going to carry forward with that today. Correct. Yeah, and and uh, we'll f- basically finish up uh, with the divine council. With the divine part, council, right? And uh, and then we'll move into uh, cosmic geography. Okay. Uh, and 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 we mentioned last time that this was has to do with how those people, uh, let's say, between the testaments, how they looked at the worldview. And what it, their mindset what was, yes, in, in, especially in terms of their beliefs, their or their their how, spiritual beliefs. Well, and when they read the scriptures, how how they interpreted them, right? Because of that, you know, if if you believe in the Trinity, let's say, then you're going to read th- through this and find proof of the Trinity everywhere. Like Richard talks about, yeah. God's going to give you what you what's in your heart. Exactly, if you come to him with like that. So, so we're just searching for the truth, and uh, we, we both listened to the last episode, and we, we kind of both want to clean something up here. Um, in the very first part of our last episode, we talked about the Masoretic text, and we do not want to mislead people in any way, and we also want to share that we ourselves don't believe that the Bible is corrupted to the point where it affects our salvation. Everything we have, everything we need for salvation is there yeah, in spades. Exactly. But the Masoretic text, it's documented that there were some alterations made by the people doing that who happened to be Jewish people. But we don't want to mislead people into thinking that the Bible is somehow just horribly corrupted or anything like that. Uh, the other part is... The ESV that, that Neil is going to read from, and we're both going to read from, uh, I have it as well. The ESV is a Masoretic text Bible. That is the base of it. I, and I'm not sure there are any. There may, aren't. Maybe one. Right. Uh, but almost all of them will use that text. Now, with what I'd mentioned this last time, that the ESV where there's obvious difference, or what, how did you put it? Uh, Challenging Hebrew Hebrews. is what they say on their website. Yeah, when the Hebrew is challenging. Yeah, or and sometimes that the the Hebrew or the Greek even are are, you know, it's based on interpretation. That's why they're called translations. Somebody had to make a decision. Yeah, and if you have like you know we just said, you got an idol in your heart, you're going to answer it according mm. to your idol. Even translators. Even translators. That's right. Right. So when the when the Hebrew was challenging, they looked at the Septuagint and the Dead Sea Scrolls and made a decision from there. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting that uh, the the early church would have had the Septuagint yeah. of, of, of the, the Hebrew. Uh, you know, that's the Greek translation of, of the Hebrew. Right. And that was the Bible, basically, that was extant at that time, the, the scriptures that they had available. 
Yeah, and it's important to note that there was no one scriptures that back then. Right. Um, there seems to almost kind of be multiple. That's what the Dead Sea Scrolls proved. Sure. Uh, so, again, we are not saying in any way that the Bible has been corrupted. Um, and, and we don't know everything there is to know about the Masoretic text and, and where it comes from. Uh, we've, we've done some studying on it, but if you want to know more about that, then there's plenty of information out there for you to go check it out. Uh, we're not trying to give a class on the Masoretic text. Uh, <laughs> and or, in fact, or, we're not giving a class on anything here. We're, we're sharing someone else's theory that we find interesting. That and uh, uh, we wouldn't be qualified. No, <laughs> no, no, we are not qualified for that at all. All right. So we want to move on to correct some of the things that are not correct. But when we left off on the last episode, I kind of challenged you and said, hey, we need to prove these things out and not just kind of throw them out there. But uh, before we hit record here, you said there was somewhere else you wanted to go first. Well, uh, I, as part of that divine counsel, we have you have to consider Jesus. Yeah. Now, uh, just recently, uh, it was I assume it was a Facebook. I can't remember, but uh, a, a whole thread of and, and and part of it was one one lady that claimed that Christ was created. How can you be the only begotten? Okay, and of course there's other religions that do that, like uh, the Mormons and so on. And uh, that he was created when he came here. Yeah, that, that is his creation. That he didn't exist before that. Right. And you know, I'm I'm sure that we can prove otherwise, especially John, one one. But uh, as it turns out, the the Greek word. That was translated, and uh, generally you see it in uh, as the word. Well, you, uh, uh, John three sixteen. Hmm. For God so loved the world, he, he gave his only begotten Son. Yeah. Okay. That word is monogenes, m o n o g e n e s, and for a long time, and I remember this from the early eighties, reading literature that said that. That came from two two Greek words, one being mono only single, single, and the other was ganawa, which meant to beget. And so you get the only begotten. But in reality, uh, ganawa is a uh, is a verb. But uh, there's another word that is a noun, and it's genos. It's a, a Greek word, G-E-N-O-S, which means class or kind. And in the Septuagint, where in Genesis, where it says that God created cattle after its kind, mm -hmm. well, when, when they translated that, it was genos. And that more likely, uh, the word doesn't mean on, only begotten, but one of a kind or a unique son. Of yeah, it's the Thayer definition, not the Strong's, but the Thayer definition for that uh, monogenus. Is that how you pronounced it? Yeah, genus or I'm genus. Or <laughs> uh, single of its kind only. Yeah, yeah. That, that makes a lot more sense. Than, yeah. And, and then you, if they had translated that word properly 
for all these centuries, people wouldn't have a wouldn't be able to come up with some of the conclusions that he was created, a created being, and and they wanted oftentimes put him like he he and Satan were, uh, you know, side by side in the council or whatever, and then Satan sinned and was cast out of it. But but that's not, you know, that's not one of a kind. Then that's one of many. And and just I think we made this statement before, but just as uh, there are Yahweh is Elohim, but there's no Elohim that is Yahweh. Okay. Okay. He's, yeah. he's unique, and and it, but that does not deny that there are other gods, other Elohim, other other Elohims. spirit beings, that small g, small gods, g, right? But they actually do exist. That's not a something that the egyptians or greeks or something like right. that made up it isn't just they mythology. actually exist yes and that's that's what the crux of this whole theory from dr heiser yes, right it is yeah now at, at the, in the same point you can say jesus is the unique son of god but there's but no other son of god is like him and and the reason that that is is because I, and this is how i view it anyway is that he was one of the members of, of that council, of not member of the council, but one of the godheads of that council. And what they call binetarism, I guess. Uh, that, and this was the prevailing thought of Israel in, and the Jews in, in, between the Testaments, basically. That there was more than, there wasn't, I mean, God was one to them. but And supreme. And supreme. But but he was uh, he was dual, he was invisible and he was visible. Okay, there's like two different people: the father and the son. The father and the son, and and that didn't happen until he came to earth, that he became, the, you know, the, the the true son. We'll say, uh, and we'll go go to John ten, briefly, where in ten verse thirty where Jesus says, I and the Father are one. And the Jews picked up stones to stone him. And Jesus answered them and said, I shall, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? And the Jews answered him and said, It is not for good works that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you being a man make yourself God. And Jesus answers, and he says, Is it not written in, in your law, I said, you are gods? Okay, he, he's quoting Psalms 80, 82 right there. Uh-huh. Okay, and when he says, you know, to the sons of God, this council that we started the, the whole thing on, that they would die like men. And we made the statement that if that couldn't be men or... I mean, <laughs> why would you say you men are going to die like men? Yeah, you would. They are something other than men. Uh, other what, than what men. has been being spoken of. Yeah, people have taken this section right here and used it to, in their minds to prove that Psalms 82 refers to men. And they try to put Israel or Judah in that position. But he goes on and he says, if he called them gods to whom the word of God came, that they think that's them. The word of God came in, in the form of at Mount Sinai. Mm. And the scripture cannot be broken. Do you say of him whom the fathers consecrated and sent into the world, 
you are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God. And, you know, he goes on. But the point is, is that he, he they would not have stoned him. Now, and here's what a lot of the commentators will say. Because they think uh, Psalms 82 is men that God is talking to, not not spiritual beings, that Jesus is saying, you know, your own law says you're a God. So you, you can claim to be a God if I claim to be a God. No. And that's not what he's saying. And if that was the case, they wouldn't have picked up stones to stone right. them. We're all gods here. Oh, yeah, they'd have got all boastful and said, oh, yeah, cool, you know, yeah. we're gods. <laughs> no, they, 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 you know, he, he went out of his way to point that out to them. And, and to me, that puts him, because of this uniqueness, uh, and we understand that relationship in John 1, 1, that, you know, the Word was with God and the Word was God. How, I mean, that puts him right there with the Father. But he's, the Father is still supreme. Yahweh is still Yahweh. <laughs> well, and that brings up another big topic. Maybe we shouldn't go down this, but... This name, Yahweh, or Jehovah, however you want to pronounce it, it includes the Messiah. Yeah, yeah. Because that's who's speaking and being spoken to in the Old Testament, in my opinion. I, I, this isn't all the Father. No. So I'm not, I'm, I, I don't think that Yahweh means the Father, personally. May not. Yeah. You know, I am who I am. Yeah. It's there's all, only one of me and there's only one of my son, so yeah. why, why do we need names? Yeah. Just call us God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Master. Master. So that gets us to Deuteronomy 32 again. All right. And so this is where we left off, and let me kind of recap here. Yeah. Um, you know, people can jump right out of that one into this one, and they'll go, all right, why are we having to listen to this again? <laughs> but some people don't do that, but at the end of it there, basically what's being said in Deuteronomy 32, and we'll, we'll just read that again. Uh, but the the insinu what's being insinuated here by Dr. Michael Heiser is that Psalm 32 is about the Tower of Babel, so, and what, what's one chapter before that? Genesis 10, the dividing of the nations, which is the last verse in chapter 10. Yeah. talks about the dividing of the nations, and it's just listed out um, all the sons of, of Noah. So let's pick it up here, because we want to prove, or not prove this out, but not just accept, okay, this is what Heiser said, and this is what we believe. That's that's <laughs> not a good way to do things. No, so but, let's, but uh, well, it's Deuteronomy 32, yeah. and uh, starting in verse 8. It says, when the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind. Now, to me, that's a, a reference to the Tower of Babel. Well, let me just read Genesis 10. Okay. okay? I want to read that last verse there. So we have all the descendants of Noah listed out, and there are a ton. Go, good luck pronouncing all those names. But the very last verse, which is 32, says... These are the clans and the sons of Noah, according to their genealogies, in their nations, and from these nations spread abroad on the earth after the flood. I want to look at another Not translation on that, yeah. Well, and then the, after that verse, it goes into the Tower of Babel incident. 
Yeah, and that's a good point. All right, let's just take the, the good old King James. These are the families and sons of Noah after their generations in their nations, and by these were the nations divided in the earth after the flood. Yeah. So this is the dividing of the nations spoken of in Deuteronomy 32. This well, is it. And if you go through chapter 10, there's 70. Mm. Of, is of, there really? Yeah, okay. there's 70 sons are, are, are mentioned. And it's interesting that many of the texts that they've found, archaeologists have uncovered in the Middle East, which are not, you know, scripture, they're not biblical at all, but they refer to these these 70 nations. The, the Ugarit, Ugarit, I'm not Ugarit, sure. Ugarit, yeah, uh, I've heard of it. The, and uh, I forget the other one, there's... Uh, some some from Mesopotamia and some some from uh, what we would call Canaan originally. So you know these people had this knowledge, and God uses, at least in my opinion, uses it over here in, in Deuteronomy to explain that. Uh, you know, and and we mentioned this last time. I don't know if we actually parsed it out, but when the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, and you're I've, back in De- Deuteronomy thirty-two. Thirty-two, here, right? right? He fixed the borders of the peoples according to the number of the sons of God. And then we had mentioned that, that most versions say the sons of Israel. Well, <laughs> number one, there's 70 nations. There wasn't 70 sons of Israel. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the Dead Sea Scrolls is where the sons of God's come from. Or, uh, uh, yeah, number of the, based on the number of the sons of God. And then it goes on in verse 9 says, But the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob, uh, his allotted heritage. Now, uh, I don't, don't Let's remember. stop there. Okay. Because that follows the storyline of Genesis here. Right, right. So we have after 10, which I just read, then we have the Tower of Babel. We all know that story, but it, it's basically just an explanation of how and why the nations were divided that I just read about there at the end of Genesis 10. And then it goes straight into the descendants of Shem, then the descendants of Terah. Which gets you to Eber. Which, which gets you to Genesis 12, the call of Abraham. Right. Abram. This is it. This is, it's, it's coming down the line. It, it comes straight out of the Tower of Babel. It says, I divided the nations right here from Deuteronomy 32. And then he's basically saying, and I chose the line of Shem, down through the line of Terah, and I chose Abraham. Yeah. Now, uh, I think I've mentioned this, but uh, I don't. I, I can't recall for sure. It might have been afterwards. But when think of the uh, parable, the prodigal son parable. Okay. When when the, and if I remember the story right, it was the younger son that wanted his inheritance, and then split with it. Went and. And squandered lived, it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, lived. Okay. Now, when his father gave it to him, he no, his father no longer had his inheritance. It was gone. Yep. And and I, th- that's what and he I, says. All that I have, I've given to you, the older son that was upset. Right. I don't. I can't remember either if it's the older or the younger, but 
hopefully we're right about that. But to the son that, that didn't go off right. and squander the money and stayed there and did what was right, yeah. he says to him, I've given you all that I have. Yeah. Well, and that's because half of it was already given to the others. So so the the son that remained, would it all would have been given to him. Mm-hmm. You know, only makes sense. Now, maybe yeah. maybe if, if he was the firstborn, it was a double portion. Right. But my point is, is that when you give somebody an inheritance, it's no, you don't have it anymore. It's theirs. It belongs to them. Right. And and so, but when, some inheritance are predicated on that person dying. Well, in the way we do it, generally, yeah. Yeah. Now, in this case, though, what I'm saying is that when the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, okay, God was their inheritance. He was ruling over all of mankind. And he, you know, first he got fed up with them before the flood, destroyed them, started over. And, of course, chapter 10 of Genesis gives you a list of all these people that would create these nations. And and then they, you know, didn't do. They start building the Tower of Babel, which again made him mad. Yeah, which, which was. scattered co- him instead of destroying him. Yeah. yeah, it was a contradiction to uh, to his, his uh, command that they you know, be fruitful, multiply, and subdue the earth. They were supposed to go all over the earth, and they were congregated in. And to look to him as king. Yeah, And yes. they were obviously looking to Nimrod, Nimrod or something. Nimrod in this case, right. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, you know, that's why I say that in this here is, number one, it's referring to that incident, Tower of Babel, and that uh, God took, he disinherited, these nations and said all right you're on your own but here's this spiritual entity one of my sons the son one of the sons of god that you know were part of that council or at least part of the spiritual realm that would govern them and psalms 82 is chastising them because they didn't uh after this event and he's turned them over to them they're not providing Ju- or, uh, justice, right. equity. Yes, like the, like they were supposed to do. Right. You know, even though I mean, we understand that uh, Satan will say it was he he was an angelic being that you know probably was right at the throne of God until he sinned and he was cast out. Now they be you know he and his minions are they're called demons. They're not called angels anymore, but they're still spiritual beings. And those men, those that God is, or men, those sons of God, sons of the Most High, I think uh, Psalms 82 says, were that in that uh, spiritual realm, they were they counseled with God because He would ask for their participation, and then He would act on, you know, either approve or disapprove of, of what they recommended. Isn't there seventy elders also in the? Yeah. And and I think there was now there's seventy nations here, and, and think, he casts off sixty nine of them, right? Yeah, he says yeah. I'm going to take one. Well, actually, and then it starts following it that, down that, here: Shem, Terah, Abraham. Yeah, but that was that was uh, more likely uh, a seventy one, seventy first nation. Israel would have been. Hmm. You know, it, it, that doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> We're speculating now. Yeah. Um, but th- that's the theory here, or I guess the storyline really is that God had 
supremacy or not any supremacy all 70 of these nations were a part of his inheritance and he casts them off and and says i'm just going to take the one and again follows the line from shem down to terah down to abraham and that's where genesis picks up the story in 12 and starts talking about uh abraham and the plan of salvation that came through abraham all right, so the next part of this is you had mentioned, and it really ties right in with this, and it's also in the Deuteronomy 32 discourse there, is that part of Dr. Michael Heiser's theory suggests that believers, and especially the Apostle Paul, were determined to get the, the good news, the gospel, to all 70 of these nations that were disinherited in Deuteronomy 32 that are mentioned in Genesis 10. And is that correct? Yeah. Uh, he is in the process of, re, was it reform? Is that the word I want to use? Uh, reclaiming. Reclaiming all the nations to himself to, to bring them back in. And he's using the gospel to do that. And Paul was, that was his mission. And, and he went to, to, to uh, those nations. Tell you what, we can. Uh, well, he went to some of those nations. Well, he didn't. Right. Uh, well, who knows? I, I don't know that. Well, and I have to believe that since that time till now, there's a lot more. Mm-hmm. I mean, what we know. Yeah, there's that, 200 and some countries right. now, but I don't know exactly what it's referring to with nation no here. no and generally i that, think nation means a people uh, not a property yeah, line yes i think i think you're right although in in uh he goes on and mentions he fixed the borders of the people in deuteronomy 32 so yeah you know he gave them a geographic and and uh, so you know what we're going now is to, to what i call or, or michael heiser is called uh cosmic geography Okay, and and how okay. uh, you know in 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 the process of what God is doing, and and again this was you know part of the worldview that the first century church would have had. They had an understanding that these people were out there, and they they and almost all of these nations that Paul went to had Israelites, not just Jews, living among them. From the scattered, from the scattered 12, northern twelve tribes, right? Or yeah, eleven, twelve, twelve, well, twelve. No, was, you have the half tribe and yeah, all that. It was ten, ten, but whatever. Yeah, the so, scattered ones yeah. from the northern. Um, let me think a minute. Let's be, before I go to Acts and we look at some of that. Uh, let's look at Deuteronomy four and verse nineteen. I think we read through this last time, but. Uh, Beware lest you raise your eyes to heaven, and when you see the sun, the moon, the stars, all the hosts of heaven, you be drawn away and bow down to them and serve them, things that the Lord your God has allotted to all the peoples under the whole heaven. Okay, this is part of that allotment. Now, generally, people think the sun, the moon, the stars, they're looking up at at night and seeing this stuff. But remember... uh, when we did Joseph and Jesus comparisons, he had that the dream about the sun, the moon, the stars. Right. Yeah. And and they you know bowed down to him. Mm-hmm. And Jacob's response was, "Your mother and I are going to bow to you." But his mother was already dead. Now we'd also mention in the second dream 
of the sheaves, that it was 12 sheaves, his rose up and the other 11 bowed down. That was fulfilled when the, the brothers were reunited in Egypt. Mm-hmm. But but the first dream hadn't been fulfilled yet. And that's why it says that Jacob kept it in mind. Right. Kept, right? kept it in his heart. But what I'm pointing out here is that these sun, moon, stars, all the host of heaven, That's these are spiritual entities that they're bowing down to. And that God has allotted to the peoples under the whole heaven. So all the people of the earth had been allotted these entities, these gods. To Represented by the sun, moon, and stars. Right. Now, Not uh, that the actual sun, moon, and stars are entities. No, no, you're right. There, it's, okay. it, it's, it's more like a wordplay. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, uh, or a metaphor, metaphor or a... Yeah. You know, Allegory. Uh, Deuteronomy 17, and verse 2 and 3, If there is found among you within any of your towns that the Lord God has given you, a man or a woman who does what is evil in the sight of the Lord, in transgressing his covenant, and has gone and served other gods and worshipped them, or the sun or the moon or any of the hosts of heaven, which I have forbidden, and it is told you, and you hear of it, then you shall inquire diligently, and so on. It gives reasons for stoning that man. It says it's an abomination. Yes. But here it says, and has gone and served other gods and worshipped them, or the sun, moon, and star- basically the stars. It's almost like the other gods and the sun, moon, and host of heaven are different. Or are they? <laughs> yeah. Well, this... The way this sentence works, it makes it look like that. Uh, okay, verse 17 of Deuteronomy 32, maybe parse a little bit more of that. They sacrificed to demons that were not gods, to gods that were never they never knew, to new gods that had come recently, whom your fathers had never dreaded. We read that one last time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, again, it's, it's basically pointing out that, uh, you know, these were... They didn't know who these gods were, but they're worshiping them, and these were the gods of the other nations. Um, let's let's we'll look at David's how David responds to that in First Kings uh, twenty six. No, First Samuel. Excuse me, First Samuel twenty six and verse seventeen. Saul recognized David's voice and said, "So this is when David." He could have killed him, but spared his life. Saul recognized David's voice and said, Is this your voice, my son David? And David said, It is my voice, my lord, O king. And he said, Why does my lord pursue after his servant? For what have I done? What evil is on my hands? Verse 19. Now therefore let my lord the king hear the words of his servant. If it is the lord who has stirred you up against me, May he accept an offering, but if it is men, may they be cursed before the Lord, for they have driven me out this day, that I should have no share in the heritage of the Lord, saying, Go serve other gods. And and he was, when this happened, he was outside of the territory of Israel. He'd crossed into Canaan or into, uh, I forget where where he's at. Moab or something. Joe, uh, yeah, I think maybe it is Moab. The point is, is that David sees the land, 
as sacred. I should have no share in the heritage of the Lord. Because he's, he's not there. <laughs> he's outside of that. So, he, you know, he's equating the heritage of the Lord as being the land of Israel. Mm. Okay. Okay. Now, Second Kings will get a different view of the same thing, basically, or the same concept. Uh, Second Kings chapter 5 and uh, verse 17 let me think, do we need to back up? Okay, th this is the story of Naaman. Uh, where is he from? Sidonia or Sidon? I forget. Uh, he's, he goes to Elisha to, to be healed of leprosy. Okay. Okay. And uh, verse 17 says, Then Naaman said, uh, let's back up a little bit. We'll start at 16. But he said, as the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive none. Okay, he, uh, he wanted to give the uh, Elisha a, a gift, some money or something, f because he was healed. He said, I, I'm not going to accept it. I will receive none. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. And Naaman said, if not, please, please let there be given to your servant two mule loads of earth. For from now on, your servant will not offer burnt offerings or sacrifice to any god but the Lord. Okay, now, point I bring out here is that Naaman, uh, I assume that's how you pronounce it. Naaman. Naaman. <laughs> uh, he, he viewed this, this dirt in Israel as being sacred. And he wanted to take as much as his mules would carry back to, to Sidon. And he even goes on and says, uh, in, in this matter, may the Lord pardon your servant when my master goes into the house of Rimmon to worship there, leaning on my arm, and I bow myself in the house of Rimmon. When I bow myself in that house, the Lord pardon your servant in this matter. And so he's, he wants to take some of this dirt back. We're not told what he does with it. I assume he's, but it, because to him this was it meant something. sacred, sacred land. Now, so by sacred geometry, um, geography, geography. Excuse me. We mean again. This is referencing the Deuteronomy thirty-two, where he disinherited the sixty-nine. He chose the one or seventy-one and took, or the seventy. And anyway, he's he's chosen one, and that is Israel. Right. And he has placed Israel in the land that he promised to Abraham. And all these people believe this land to be sacred because it is the chosen nation, the chosen boundaries of Israel, whom God has as his inheritance. And all other nations where these people might be standing are not a part of that inheritance, so they do not believe in that geography to be sacred. Yeah, I think that's because it's almost borderline like they're worshiping the creation instead of the creator, you know, carrying around dirt and stuff. That's silly, but this is the reason why. Yeah, uh, because he, he, he has this perception that if he has some of this dirt. Maybe he sprinkles it on the ground when he helps his master into the temple to worship. There's a rimmon. And 
you know, it's going to going to provide him with Yahweh's protection. Yeah, and which is why he's basically was asking for a blessing that he'll forgive me of of this because it's something I have to do. You know, it's, right. it, it's like people that uh, I knew one guy that you know kept the Sabbath as best he could. But one month out of one one week out of the year, I mean, out of the month, he had to work, mm-hmm. and you know he justified it. Well, I didn't have a problem with that. You know, That's between him and God. Yeah, he was doing what he could. Now, in, in his case, you know, he uh, it was like he had to go in, and it only affected him, I think, in the winter, mm. because during the summer, or maybe it's the other way around. Yeah, in the winter it was dark. So the Sabbath was over, and he could because he didn't go to work till like eight o'clock, eight p.m. But in the summertime, yeah, it's it still the sun is out. Yeah, yeah, and but he would start his Sabbath early on Friday to, to get a twenty-four hour period, and that's how he justified it. It's like, oh, you know, yeah, that's between I, you and God. Yeah, my I'm not. Friend. I'm not here to judge that. Yeah. It's between him and God. All right, where are we going? But did I kind of summarize there correctly what we're talking about here with cosmic geography? I think so, yeah. Okay. Uh, You know, really there's two points to it, that God uh, disinherited these nations, you know, took them out. They are no longer part of my inheritance. And who inherits things, the Father or the Son? The Son inherits things, right? Yeah. And and uh, and then the fact that he's reclaiming those is in the process of reclaiming those nations, and uh, we can go after, to, after the coming of Messiah is, is the started. reclaiming of the sixty nine that were that were divided and cast off. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Or and, the seventy and, or and whatever I, it is, right. but the ones that were not a were a part of the inheritance, he disinherit inherits them. In Deuteronomy 32, and then after the Messiah comes and completes his mission in full perfectly, then the apostles and the rest of the saints are a part of the ongoing mission to reclaim those cast-off nations or divided nations. And and it's what the so-called missionaries are doing today. You know, and and we uh, they're on that mission. They're on that mission to to bring you know these nations back to God. Now, uh, I think in in generally our th- understanding of of it is that you know it isn't a, a war between Satan and God and and who gets the most. It, you know, God's working His plan, and He's not looking for all the world to be saved right now. And this is why the. Uh, you know, belief in heaven and hell and, and uh, uh, the rapture are so so detrimental to, to people because they think they're going to escape all this stuff. But God is just, it's just, he's just getting a small little group together, which, you know, the, uh, Revelations talks about the 144,000. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty small group. Well, and you have the story of Gideon. Yeah. You know, where he says, no, too many. Yeah. No, too many. Yeah, 300 is enough. Yeah, against 30,000 or yeah. something. <laughs> 20,000 or something, yeah. Because uh, he likes to show how awesome he is because he is that awesome. So, and there's none like him. You know, but, uh, and we'd mentioned, I guess, before we started that, you know, he, uh, he, he's going to start with a small group and then in through the 
uh, millennial period, everybody will have the opportunity to profess Jesus as Lord and and enter into that kingdom at some point in time anyway. Yeah. Uh, we, if you go to uh, Acts 2, where... Uh, Peter's famous speech. Yeah, it starts there. Um, uh, verse 6 of, of Acts 2 says, And at, at this sound the multitude came together, and they were, they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are these not... Are, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Okay, now here's a list of some of the nations that the gospel was taken to. Parthia, the Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia. <laughs> Phrygia. Phrygia, I guess. Pamphylia. Pamphylia, Egypt, parts of Libya, belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. Arabians. Arabians. So, you know, th- those are just some of the nations. Now, all these people, after the day of Pentecost, eventually went home, and they took this message, this message with, them. with them. Yeah. And so, the, so the process the was starting. So many were baptized, right? Right, right. 3,000, I right. think, that day. I think so. Actually, read those first five, six uh, chapters of Acts, and you see the, the process of, of that happening. The process of what happened? Of, of, of uh, getting, getting to these nations. Okay, uh, chapter uh, Acts 8, verse 26 is where Philip encounters the Ethiopian eunuch. Mm, okay. Okay, and he gets baptized. We know that story. I'm not going to read this part of it, but... You know, what prevents me from being baptized? You know, there's water right there. So he gets baptized, and he continues his journey to Ethiopia, taking, of course, taking he, the gospel with he, him. He had had a scroll of, of uh, Isaiah. Isaiah, mm-hmm. And, you know, he, he even asked the question, you know, how can, how I, can I understand, understand this, this yeah. if somebody doesn't right. you know, teach me? So he, you know, he, he had a—I'm sure that—I mean, it's a brief encounter in the text— and the good news is First John, where it says, once you have the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit can teach you anything yeah. you need to know, and what He teaches is what it teaches is true. Yeah, it's not a lie. Right. Well, and uh, point, this could have been several days that they were together. Could have been, yeah. But it's just a brief little encounter in in text form, so uh, we don't know. But I got he takes him down to the water and baptizes him, right. doesn't he? Yeah. yeah. But I, I got, can't help but think that. He had a very good understanding of the death of Christ and his resurrection and what happened and and what God's doing because of this encounter. Otherwise, he'd have just taken this scroll back that nobody would really have. A, that scroll, a, scroll was probably very expensive. Oh, yeah, yeah. He would have been high up in some yeah. administration. Right. Uh, let's see. Chapter 9 starts... Uh, the conversion of Saul. Mm-hmm. Guess where he's at? He's in Damascus. Well, he's on the road to Damascus, uh, right? When he, yeah, but he ends up in Damascus. Yeah. Now, it's interesting that Damascus is the farthest northern point that Abraham traveled. You know, okay. You go from Haran across to, to Damascus and then down to, to Canaan. But remember, he says, 
all all this wherever your feet go is will be you know, your inheritance your, yeah, basically. Yeah. I, I think that's how he puts it. So it's just interesting that Paul goes there. Okay. All right. Where are we going next? Well, uh, I, I mentioned Paul and Damascus. Uh, mm-hmm. And then uh, the next chapter, I believe it is, uh, chapter 10, is Cornelius. He's, he's a Roman. So, and, you know, the gospel. All Sabbatarians should be familiar with Acts 10. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Too bad the rest of the church churchianity isn't. <laughs> yeah. So just you know, pointing out that these Cornelius was Roman, Roman centurion. Yeah. Yeah. From the and as what was known as as, as the Italian cohort. So he he actually came from Italy or Rome. When I'm looking down here, and uh, the next place in Acts 11 is the church in Antioch. There's actually two different Antiochs. Right. I'm not sure which one is referenced here, but obviously the gospel—it's it, another point where the gospel has been taken to here in Acts. Well, and, and what's happening here is—is is, uh, first of all, we assume, I suppose, that these nations uh, uh, in in Acts two were Jews that were there for the holy days, mm-hmm. and they took this message back to their communities in their countries that they were from. Maybe they weren't. They might have been proselytes. They might have been, you know, foreigners. But regardless, they, they started carrying this message back away from Well, if they're there Israel. for the feasts, then they're, they're basically of the Old Testament. They're the Old Covenant. Yeah. And then they've come here and they've heard about this new covenant and this new way and uh, about baptism, and so they're they're taking that home with them, right, right, and and the knowledge of of the resurrection, right, which is and know, what all that brought. Um, this is chapter eleven. Okay, actually, uh, you start in eleven and go all the way to about uh, nineteen. I suppose is basically it's all about Paul mm-hmm. and, and his missions to. Spread the gospel, and and I was going to make this point about Cornelius. It's starting to go to the Gentiles, even before Paul comes along. You know, the Ethiopian, and then uh, Cornelius, and and it slowly is moving into the Gentile world. Now that's an interesting thing to bring in here because Gentiles is also translated as the nations. Right. Right. Yeah, that's all it means. The word right? is, is, is nations. That's really interesting. That, that just hit me. <laughs> yeah. You have Israel, and then you have everything else. Again, back to the Deuteronomy 32, where the, the other nations, you had 70 of them in Genesis 10. They're split up and divided. God chooses one. That one comes down through the lineage of Shem to Abraham all the way down to Jacob and is called Israel, the sons of Israel. Wow, that just hit me. Uh-huh. Yeah, kind of. That's what this, that's that's a lot of this theory right there. Yeah, it is. It right really there is. in yeah. that word. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. You know what, we both studied this and we never really made that connection until right now. You too? Yeah, I don't think so. Yeah, I never. I mean, Man, it just hit me like a brick. You know what, uh, 
I mean, I've always known that yeah. Gentiles meant nation. The, or the nations, yeah. like all those who are not Israel. Right. But now that has a more, lot more meaning, lot right? More, yeah, it does to me. <laughs> uh, let's see, Romans 19, I mean, Acts 19, and uh, let's see, I got verse 21. Oh, yeah. Okay. So going to Macedonia? Yeah. Well, it says, now after these events, this is the riot up in Ephesus where they, I think Paul got cast out of the city. Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem, saying, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. So he's planning on going to Rome. He doesn't realize how he's going to get there. <laughs> yeah. But when he does, even in that hard way, all he does is preach the gospel. True. The whole, the whole anyone time. that will listen. Yeah, the whole time. Even even the guards. And yeah, everybody. everybody. Yeah. Uh, Romans uh, 15 and 20. Verse 20. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written... Those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Okay, and then continuing on, uh, this is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. This is the people in Rome. He's, he's sent, writing to the right. Romans, this and, book of Romans. So he, he hasn't got there yet, and he's sending this letter to him, And he says, but now, since I am no, lo no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to, to be helped on my journey there by you. So why did he want to go to Spain? Don't know. Well, you know, you got you to gotta think of the, the known world as, you know, 2,000 years ago was evolved around the Mediterranean. All the nations in that 70 are probably in that area, one way or the other. And the farthest west, you know, most western nation, which my understanding is, is that was Tarsus, is where Paul wanted to take the gospel. To, to, cause to it, Spain? And Spain is also named Tarshish? Well, the, I'm not sure if it's a city, but the southern part of Spain along this... Uh, along the Mediterranean was was considered Tarsus. And that's where Jonah was fleeing to when he was trying to, you know, not go to Nineveh. <laughs> hmm. Well, the other end of it would be Africa, you know, right. across the Mediterranean from there right. would be another far end of it. I would bet that's one of the names that's in here as well. I'd have to find it. All right. Well, I think we'll we'll kind of conclude our our little study here. Um, that wraps up the what we're going to do for the cosmic geography part, uh, and really it kind of winds up what we're going to do for all of all the divine council, uh, Dr. Michael Heiser's work. Again, this is not in any way exhaustive. This is introductory at best. Uh, to what Heiser does, uh, or, or, or his work is is vast. Well, and, and uh, I don't know if we mentioned this at the beginning, but uh, he was an expert in uh, ancient languages. Yeah. Not, not just Hebrew, but m many of the uh, ancient languages. 
And so his knowledge is valuable, but, you know, just like anything, it, there is some bias in it. And yeah. you got to take that with a grain of salt. But Sure. I mean, this is a guy that believes in the Trinity. Yeah. You know, so right. we, we obviously differ with him on a lot of things, but he seems like a good man. And this is very interesting work that he's done here. And, and if you are interested in learning more about Dr. Michael Heiser's work, uh, what was it, thedivinecouncil.com? Yeah, and, and there, you, there are a variety of papers that, and, and some are real technical. I think they're labeled academic. Yeah. Uh, others are, are uh, you know, <laughs> more for the common guy. Right, but, but for you and me. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're worth having, and it explains some of the stuff a little deeper than what we we were able to discuss on it. Yeah. Uh, he has other sites, but uh, that's a good place well, to start. The, the Naked Bible Bo- Podcast is his, or was his. Yes. He's, he's passed away. Uh, and there's some really good stuff on there. Yeah. Um, but he also wrote two books on this subject. He has more books than that. But on this subject, he had the academic version, which is the unseen realm. And then he had more the average person version, which is called uh, Supernatural. Supernatural, I, I yeah. think so. Uh, both of them are really good. I've, I've read Unseen Realm, and I kind of peeked through Supernatural. My mom had it, but uh, they're good. Um, so let me kind of summarize what what I've taken away from all this, and you stop me if you think I'm wrong anywhere, and we'll see where we kind of go. Um, so what Heiser is saying here, what... I was as soon as you started talking, I thought I better stop you. You're probably wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so that's where you're stopping me. Is so. <laughs> All right. What Heiser is saying is, well, let me just read this first part of Job, okay? Because this is something that has really drawn my eye in the past, and I never knew quite what to do with it until I found this stuff by Heiser. Uh, and I'm going to start in Job 1 and verse 6. I'm just going to break into the context here. Now, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came among them. Uh, this is the ESV version, by the way. And verse 7, the Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. I'm going to go ahead and stop there. It's, it's really just right there in that first sentence. Now, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. Now, that would tell me that Satan's, if he was at one time, he's no longer one of the sons of God. Well, having read this stuff from Heiser, that's kind of where you come to, right? right. Is, is that's a, at least a possibility. It's on the table. Sure. Before reading this work by Heiser, I, I read this and just thought, what is this? I mean, I find the first two chapters of Job to be just fascinating. It's right here in this discourse with God and Satan. Well, and, and it, almost the exact Same thing in two. Yeah. Chapter two, verse one. And I can't help but think, uh, you know, it says in, in chapter two, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. Well, I, that is whether it was the actual counsel f- for decision making, but it was a counsel. 
It was it was one of the divine councils, and God presided, and they came to present themselves for whatever purpose. We're not told. Now, in previous, it could be a monthly meeting, or who, yeah, who knows? Exactly, yeah. uh, y'all planning session mm-hmm. or whatever. You just you, we're not told, given those details. But we have seen in in other places, uh, especially when we looked at the divine council, that uh, uh, Psalms eighty two. He's, he's sitting in the council, and, and when he makes the decision about uh, Nebuchadnezzar, and I forget the other uh, example we looked at in Daniel, I think it was, there, there was a definitely you know, an image of, of God presiding over a group of angelic or spiritual beings that were making, you know, offering a, a advice on a decision that he would use or not use. Yeah, and again, as we said then, is he didn't need it. Yeah, but for some reason, he chooses he, to utilize it. He he wants to, to use, he wants input. He wants to use his creation. Yeah, and you know the the, the angelic world or uh, spiritual world is, is his creation, and that's what makes him unique from all other Elohim. Why Yahweh is Elohim, but not no other Elohim is Yahweh. Because he was not created. He's always He stands existed. alone. He's the one that created all of it. He's, he's unique among all, <laughs> everything. Everything that is created. Uh, yeah. yeah, everything that is Period. created or not. Yeah. Well, let me carry forward here. So the, this whole discourse with Job had, had always really interested me. And then, and I, I don't know, maybe a couple of years ago, you brought the unseen realm to our Sabbath day gathering and uh, introduced it to me. And I thought, oh, yeah, I bought that <laughs> years ago and I never read it. <laughs> yeah. So I picked it up and read it and we would talk, you know, as I was trying to go through it because it takes a while. It is academic. Yeah. Uh, you don't just blow through that over a weekend or something. It, it, it's like a textbook. Yeah, you got to read a little bit, sit sit it down and think for a while, and then pick it back up. Uh, but it, it helped me deal with, with this, of, of what's going on here. Uh, but f- basically what Heiser is saying is that there is this divine counsel that we've been talking about. There is, at the very least, other spiritual beings that exist and are talked about in the Bible. We see that with the 70 elders and uh, even in some of the scenes of Revelation. I mean, there are other beings there that are amongst God. Now, I don't know. I mean, it does, the sons of God, it does say, B'nai Elohim, right? Son of God. How that all works, I don't know. I, I don't know their relationship with God their relationship with the Messiah, how all that works, I don't know. I still don't. And I don't know that I need to know. Well, I, I was just going to say that we're probably not told a lot of the details on that because we can't comprehend it. Yep. Uh, and and we, until we can be there, which we know is the future, which is kind of where we went when we got into the ge- ge- uh, cosmic geography. Because, you know, why we started that with how God had disinherited the nations and these other Elohim were uh, ruling over them which is what Psalms 82 is about he's he's chastising them for not right, uh, ruling uh, justly. justly yeah and uh, uh, 
But his plan is to reclaim those. And we showed how Paul was in the process of, of uh, starting that process. And then it continues today through us in preaching the word and spreading the gospel around the world. Because at some point in time, he will take those back and those other gods will not be influencing those nations and, and having their you know, dominion over them. It will it's return. Like fingernails on the chalkboard for a lot of people hearing those <laughs> other gods, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. The, those other Elohim uh, that do exist. I mean, it, it sure looks, I mean, you read this Job 1 here. He's, he's talking to somebody here. Yeah. He's gathered together some people, yeah. and Satan came amongst them. Yeah. Uh, but the cosmic geography part of it, uh, I think it's an explanation of how it was or how maybe thought processes were in the Old Testament, but I'm not sure that it matters now because the nations are being reclaimed, and I think the, it, it, Israel has changed too it's now, a process. right? It's I a, mean, it's a process, and I think that's what's important today to understand. Mm -hmm. it, it isn't complete yet, and it won't be complete. But it's no longer about soil over in the Middle East. To some people, it is. Well, you know, but is that right or wrong? You know, well, the people that worship that wall, that, right, but that's wrong. That's to it is, in my opinion, right. But in their eyes, you know, they're right. righteous, <laughs> right? You know, so. But the point is, is is that it still exists? And and one thing I wanted to mention was, or you know, as we wind this up, is that in the second century, the rabbis at the time. They went out of their way to make changes, you know, in in the, the the text that would split this dual Godhead that Israel had for centuries before that, an understanding that the, that God was a dual Godhead, and because th these worshippers of Yeshua, they worship God and they worship Jesus, and that was anathema to them. And but they understood that that's what they had believed their forefathers before them mm -hmm. and so on, and and I over this is where these texts that we use today to to write Bibles gets some of the errors that are you know might be in them because they went out of their way to d make this separation that never existed in the minds of those people before them. Okay. Well, I, I think we'll leave it here. Um, like I said earlier, if, if you want to learn more, there is an abundance of information out there put out by Dr. Michael Heiser. Yeah, and, and that's H-E-I-S-E-R, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, just, yep. just do a Google search on that. The Naked find. Bible Podcast is, is a good place to start as well. They have a little thing on there that if you're new, start here, and that might be a good place to start. You'll, but, you'll find a lot of this information, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of it out there, and it's a really interesting take on the Bible and and. You know, as I'm reading through, I keep that in the back of my head. Do I do I look at all of this as factual? No. Possible, or even maybe even probable? Yeah, but yeah, uh, not factual. Well, not like Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. That's a fact. There you go. That you're not changing my mind about that, <laughs> no matter how much we argue. But this, you know, I could be influenced to, if somebody else came up with something better or explanation for Job one here, then then maybe I might adapt that. But for now, this is this is the way I look at it. All right, so. 
we'll go ahead and leave it off here. And thank you, Neil, for coming in. And we'll talk to you all next time. Bye-bye.